Our scripture today is from two of the Gospels. The first, the Gospel according to Luke, the seventh chapter, verses 1 through 10. This summer, we are following the uh, Revised Common Lectionary, a, a set of texts that are suggested by the larger ecumenical church. And today, we find ourselves in this portion of Luke's Gospel, the seventh chapter. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He's worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, the 11th chapter, these words of Jesus Come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. In C.S. Lewis' children's book, The Silver Chair, a young girl named Jill is thirsty, desperately thirsty. She wants nothing more than to quench her thirst, take a long, cool drink of some water, and the good news is, is that she finds herself very close to a stream of cool, crisp, flowing water that beckons her to plunge in her hands and gulp. The bad news is, is that between her and this quenching water, there sits a lion at the edge of the brook, a great lion. Later, we learn that the lion's name is Aslan and that Aslan is this allegorical representation of God. So this larger-than-life, transcendent being stands between Jill and the quenching of her thirst, and Jill is not sure what to do. The lion himself invites her to drink. But Jill is not sure what will happen. She's not sure what kind of lion this is. Would you mind, she asks, 
going away while I drink? And to that, the lion answers with a low growl. And then Jill asks, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come? And the lion responds, I make no promise. Do you eat little girls, she asks. And the lion says, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms. This does not set Jill's mind at ease. So left with this impossible choice between dying of thirst and approaching the lion, Jill risks it all, walks up to the lion, kneels next to the stream, and scoops water down her parched throat. It was, Lewis writes, the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. There are many things that can stand between our thirst, our hungers, and their satisfaction, and often it can be what we think about God, what we think about the lion at the edge of the brook. Mick Jagger spoke perhaps for his generation, maybe all generations, when he bellowed ungrammatically, I can't get no satisfaction. Something stands between us and the satisfying answers to life's questions, to the spirit's deepest yearnings, and sometimes that something can be what we think about God. What is the nature of the lion in front of the stream? For us, maybe, for a few of us made it out of childhood without viewing the epic children's story, The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy and Toto and her merry band of companions make their way down the yellow brick road in search of the Wizard of Oz, the transcendent being of the Emerald City, and they're looking for something from the wizard. One wants a heart, one wants a brain, one wants some courage, and Dorothy just wants to go back home to Kansas. So it is this thirst, this hunger, that sends them down the yellow brick road risking the dangers of lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and they arrive at the Emerald City and take themselves before the wizard, and what they find is this hologram of a sultan-like wizard who angrily commands them that first they have to confront the Wicked Witch of the West and bring back her broomstick. So they face into their fears, take on the risk, confront the witch, and accomplish the wizard's task, bring the broomstick back to the wizard, and the wizard seems no more pleased with them than when he first met them and he tries to dismiss them. And so then comes this question, who is this wizard? Is he for us or is he against us? Does the wizard wish for our satisfaction? Maybe the wizard isn't really a nice wizard. Kind of like that lion with his low growl, maybe he doesn't really want to quench my thirst. But then Dorothy and friends see behind the curtain and they see a good man behind what they thought was the bad wizard and, they, and, he, and that he does really wish for the things that they've been thirsting for, a heart, a brain, a dose of courage, and a balloon ride back to Kansas. Sometimes satisfying our deepest hungers and thirst can come only when we are willing to challenge 
our discovery of who God is. Is God a bad wizard or a good wizard? A mean lion or a good lion? Like the man who was asked by his pastor what his ultimate concern was, and he answered that his ultimate concern was that the ultimate was concerned about him. Which maybe was the question that laid at the heart of this Capernaum centurion. We know very little about the man except that he was Roman, a military man, a non-Jew, a benefactor of the local Jewish community, and he is brokenhearted over one of his servants who is near death, and he thirsts for an answer, for a cure, for a solution to his dilemma, and he's desperate for healing, and he wonders that with Jesus in town, maybe this holy healing man might make a difference. Can't hurt to try. But maybe it can hurt because there is something in the centurion, something in this military man that makes him sense that to come face to face with Jesus is to come too far. That, that maybe there's something about this centurion's Romanness, maybe there's something about his militariness, maybe there's something about his Gentileness that makes this face to face for him too risky, like laying down in front of the lion, like facing up to the wizard. I'm not worthy, the centurion says. I really don't have, I really don't deserve what you have to give. You're probably, I'm guessing, a vengeful God. You're probably an angry lion. You're probably a mean wizard. But if by chance there's a shred of mercy and pity in you, then just say the word. I, I bet you've got the power, but I just don't know if you have the grace. You know, it's the kind of thing that I hear all the time. If I had a dime for every person who has approached me and asked me to put in a good word for them with a guy upstairs, I'd be a wealthy man. Not that there's anything bad about, you know, asking a clergy person for a prayer. Of course, that's the right thing to do. But when I ask about what they're praying for, I'm so often told, oh, Reverend, I, I'm not so sure God hears my prayers. You don't know what life I've lived. You don't know the last time I've been to church. Lord knows I don't know the last time I've been in church. And that maybe God's this angry lion. Maybe God's this mean wizard who doesn't really care about my thirst, my hungers. You see, Reverend, I think God's got the power. I just don't know if God's got the grace. I know he's a lion. I know he's a wizard. But I don't know if he's merciful. I'm just not sure that the ultimate is ultimately concerned about me. So what's the centurion got to lose? He bets on grace. He humbles himself in front of his Jewish neighbors, puts himself at the mercy of the rabbi from Nazareth. He sends his emissaries. He says, I've heard you've got the power, and now I'm betting on your grace. And I'm wondering if that isn't the faith that Jesus is talking about when he turns to the crowd and he says, you know, this guy, this Roman centurion, this Gentile, I'm putting him in the hall of fame of faith because he's bet on grace. He's approached the lion. He's faced off with the wizard. And he has put it all on grace. And he has found the healing that he was thirsty for. Sort of repeated over and over again in the New Testament, the unclean woman hemorrhaging for 12 years sneaks up behind Jesus with every hope that he won't notice just as she touches the hem of his robe. She, she's just betting on a little bit of grace. 
the blind man yelling to Jesus from the street corner, have mercy upon me, son of David. He's betting on grace. The father of the possessed son, who's at, at wit's end, says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think you've got the power. I just don't know if you've got the grace. The Gentile woman pleading for her little girl. She knows that the rabbi from Israel has got some kind of power, some kind of ability to heal. She just doesn't know if he's got mercy for foreigners. But it doesn't matter. She's going to place her bed anyway, and she throws every ounce of her dignity before Jesus, throws, him, throws herself at Jesus' feet, begging for just a crumb of mercy, and Jesus says, Whoa, great is your faith. When the criminal hangs with Jesus... And who knows what his motive was. Maybe it was just a Hail Mary pass at the last second of the game. But what does he have to lose? Remember me, Jesus, he says. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I've got one last dime and I'm putting on you. I'm betting on mercy because you're my last shot. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. There's something healing that takes place when we go all in with the grace of Christ. There's something healing that takes place when we go all in with the gracious life of Jesus. And here's the thing. That healing can start right now. The satisfaction can start right now. You see, that's the big miss in religion. This satisfaction, this healing, this quenching of our thirst, it isn't something we just cash in in a crisis, in case of fire, break glass. The, this invitation to grace, this welcome to the quenching water, this summons to find your heart, your home, your soul. Jesus is beckoning us now. This satisfaction doesn't have to wait to the fourth quarter. doesn't have to be a Hail Mary. doesn't have to be the last resort. doesn't have to be a what do we have to lose kind of thing. No, this can be the bet you make right from the start, right now. Because this rabbi, this Jesus, this son of David, this is the one who walks alongside of us and invites us into this healing, gracious, merciful life right now. It's the big miss we make in religion. We wait until the crisis. We wait until there's little hope. We wait until there's nothing left to do. But God is not the cosmic bellhop. God is not heal on demand. God invites us into a life of reconciliation and recreation and renewal and restoration. Come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and gentle of soul. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me, Jesus says. In other words, I invite you into a healing relationship now. I invite you into rest now. I invite you into mercy now. I invite you into forgiveness now. I invite you into Sabbath now. I invite you into a meaningful and abundant life now. I invite you into being a healing agent yourself now. Bet on it. Take the plunge. Approach the line. Dip your hands in the water. Gulp down your baptism. Follow me and take on the rhythm of grace. Soak in the mercy of uncomfortable conditional acceptance. Lap up the divine love. Claim your identity as a child of God. For blessed are the merciful, Jesus says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they've bet on grace. And they have found the abundant life. Psychology today not necessarily known to be a spiritual journal by any means, 
published an article a couple of years ago on the five keys to mental health. And here were the five keys to mental health according to psychology today. One, hope. Two, gratitude. Three, letting go. Four, letting God. Five, accepting your intrinsic worth. Five keys to mental health. Cultivating hope that things will be better. Practicing gratitude for what you've already received. Letting go as in letting go of control. Letting God as in developing one's spiritual life. And accepting your intrinsic worth. And I say to myself, when I read this list, I say to myself, that's 2,000 years old. This is Jesus' life. Hope, gratitude, letting go, letting God, accepting your intrinsic worth, and that maybe, maybe it's worth walking up to the lion. Maybe it's worth approaching the wizard and saying, I cast my bets, I take my plunge, I reach for the lion's mane, and I start my way now to healing and grace and mercy and gratitude because you know there's always this tug of war, right, we battle with between which fear is going to win, the fear of getting better or the fear of staying the same. The fear of getting better or the fear of staying the same. The fear of facing the lion or the fear of dying of thirst. So it makes me think of this dear friend of mine up in New Jersey. His name is Bill and Bill is just like one of the greatest guys you're ever going to meet. He is incredibly full of joy, optimism, full of life. And to be in Bill's presence is to know that life's going to be all right. Now, it turns out Bill's a doctor. He is a doctor of chiropractic medicine, a chiropractor. And somewhere along the way, and this was years ago when I lived up, lived up in New Jersey, and after I've complained about having problems with my neck and shoulders and upper spine and far too frequent migraine headaches, Bill says to me, you know, I think I can, I can help you with that. And I say to myself, but you're a chiropractor. You crack people's backs. You paralyze them for life. You inflict pain. And I say to myself, not a chance. So I stay away. My fear of getting better outweighs my fear of staying the same. Eventually, my neck continues to go into spasms and migraines follow, and I finally say to myself, oh, what do I got to lose? Except, of course, my ability to walk again, but what have I got to lose? <laughs> so I make an appointment, and then on the day of, day of the appointment, I cancel it. <laughs> and I say, that lion will devour me. That wizard does not have my welfare in mind. And my dear friend Bill is so patient and kind. He says, hey, you, when you're ready, you're ready. Well, finally, after more spasms, more headaches, I was ready, and I made my appointment, and I kept my appointment, and my friend, my trusted friend, wraps his arms around me on the table, and I say, oh, boy, this isn't going to be good, but I'm betting on grace. I'm betting on healing. I'm betting on my trusted friend, and before I know it, he holds tight, and he adjusts me, and a few days later, he adjusts me again and again and again and again 
And over time, I start to feel better. Healing is occurring, hardly ever a spasm, hardly ever a headache. And I say to myself, why did I wait so long? Now, this is not an advertisement for chiropractors, but it is my way toward asking you a question. Why are you waiting so long? The stream of water is cool and clean. Home is not too far away. A new heart and new courage await the Savior opens his arms to embrace you. Follow me, he says. My yoke is easy, my burden light. Rest is here for your souls. An adjustment here, an adjustment there. Cool water down your parched throat. And home, right around the corner. <laughs>